faith, worship, obedience, favor, grace, provision, pride, stubbornness, judgment. From faithfulness to infidelity. From blessings to justice. Rudderless man falling and failing. Timeless God correcting and redeeming. An aimless generation repeating a cycle of rebellion and repentance. An unchanging God always giving his best, providing restoration. Judges and kings. Today, uh, we're continuing, continuing our study as we talk about the judges and the kings, and this is where they intersect. Samuel is a judge and a prophet, and Samuel uh, has acquiesced uh, before God to this process of the king. So let me give you a little background. We're going to be talking about self-deception, and we're going to see the self-destruction of Saul, King Saul. And how did that start? It was because of the self-deception. Now, if we go back, here's what we see. The nation of Israel uh, has been elected, so to speak, by God uh, to be a light to all the other nations of the one true God, Yahweh. And they are to personify and to show forth and to spread forth the news of Yahweh, God Almighty. And this selected group of people has... Uh, special criteria that they are to observe. And not only that, they're different than every other nation because God, the Father, is their king. God is their king, and God is also their deliverer. Now, he will send as needed a judge into the land, a judge who who will judge the people and lead them in military endeavors. And the people, at this point, as Samuel is getting older, the prophet They come to him and they say, Samuel, you are getting older and we are ready for a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. That's what we want to be like. We want to be like everyone else. And we want a king that will go and fight our battles on our behalf. The problem was, is God did not want the nation of Israel to be like all other nations. And he would ultimately fight their battles as they would keep his covenant. And as his covenant was kept, he would protect them, he would watch over them, he would bless them. And when they would break the covenant, then the enemies would come into their land. Now, with that understood, the people are just ready for their own king. And even though it was prophesied in the book of Genesis, we know to Abraham and to Jacob and in Deuteronomy 17 that eventually Israel would have a king This was not the time, and this was not to be the person. Now, we don't know if it was to be David or if it was to be uh, Jesus. We don't know when the first king should have been, but it was not going to be Saul. So, so, So Samuel goes and pleads to God, and he said, go ahead and give the people what they asked for, which is... Kind of a scary thing. Sometimes the worst thing God can do or for, for us, at least from our, for our own well-being, is for God to give us exactly what we want. Sometimes we want things that we don't need or that are counterproductive to what God wants to do for us. And this was one of those times. 
But he said, go ahead and grant their request. I will select a king. And so, in fact, he did select a king. And we see, as, uh, as Derek was just reading, as Saul, that when they first go to get him, he, uh, matter of fact, even before that time, Samuel has identified him and has anointed him. And now it's time for him to come and be coronated, so to speak. All the people have come together. And <clears throat> there's going to be a selection. So it's from the tribe of Benjamin and through uh, the, the next clan and then to his family and then to his children. And when they call out for King Saul or they call out for Saul, no one can find him. Where is this guy, Samuel, that God has selected as our next king? And they begin to look for him and somebody says, he's over in the luggage. Many people had traveled and I put their luggage there. He's over in the baggage. And so Saul is hiding behind the bag. So they go and they bring Saul out. And the people look at him and they go, yes, this is what we want. For the Bible said that Saul was a head shoulder than anyone else. In other words, most people in that day and time were somewhere, men would be 5'4", maybe 5'5". Five, five. Saul is probably closer to 6'4". He's young. He's probably in his early 20s. He's handsome. And they look at him and they go, that's exactly what we want for a king. You know, we even know that Americans today in studies that we prefer the tall, good-looking guy to be president or the tall, good-looking woman, whatever the situation might be, to be president. It's just kind of innately who we are. Uh, we, didn't, we don't necessarily have that right now, but that's what m- most of the time, that's what people want, okay? And they have this desire for what it should look like. Well, in that day, even more so, because you got to be king one of three ways in that day. Either you were part of the royal lineage and you inherited through royal blood because you were the prince, or you and your group of people, your tribe, they went and they conquered, and um, that's how you became king. You knocked people off, you killed them or whatever, and you made your way into the palace. Or the third way, your clan became very strong, and it began to spread, and you were the biggest and the strongest, and usually the biggest and the strongest guy. He was the leader, and that's how you got to be king. So they're looking, Oh, yeah, man, we got a real king, one that will lead us into battle. He's big. He'll be intimidating. This is exactly what we want. And on top of that, he's good looking. This is exactly what we want. We can sell posters, make trading cards. This is a great opportunity for us. And so that's where they are. And what they don't realize, this is not what God had intended. This is not what's best. But God goes ahead and he blesses them, and God uses them. And so we see, at first, we see uh, Saul at this point. He's called uh, after he's gone home, and he's called and said, look, some of our neighboring cities have been under attack, and they're, they're laying siege. The Ammonites have come from the east, and they've laid siege to them, and uh, they're, going to, uh, they're going to capture them. As a matter of fact, they said they're going to take out all the men. All the men is going to take out their right eye, and then they'll be their slaves. And so Saul mustered all the troops that he could. He called throughout the land. He led them, and they went into battle, and they had a mighty victory. And Saul has several great victories. And on one occasion, he is, the, the, Samuel has told him, look, now there's going to be a big fight here, and I want to come out, and God has instructed me to give a sacrifice on behalf of the nation before you go into battle. But Saul gets tired of waiting, and Saul runs ahead, and Saul decides, even though he's not a priest, to just go ahead and do the sacrifice himself so that he can go on into battle. And God honors even though Saul is not being faithful, even though Saul is not obeying, even though Saul is rushing ahead in his own strength, in his own ego. 
But then we finally come to this instance where we're going to read scripture today in Samuel chapter 15. And the situation here is it's the hated Amalekites. Now, who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites have been hundreds and hundreds of years. They're marauders. And the way that they live is they go and they knock out cities and villages and different smaller people groups or big people groups where people are lagging behind and they kill them and then they, they take whatever they have. They take their, their livestock, they take their grain, they'll take their children, their wives and make them slaves. And that's principally how they lived. As a matter of fact, they even attacked the Israelites as they were going through the death. They would attack, uh, because the Israelites were such a big group, they would attack those in the back who had fallen behind, the sick, the elderly, the infirmed, the, the, the hurting, and they would kill them and then take their stuff. And so they've been doing this for year after year. And God's sovereign, gracious kindness has been uh, given patience. But now it's the point where he said, this group of people... All they know how to do is kill and cause bloodshed. So my judgment is coming upon them. So Saul, I want you and the nation of Israel to exercise my judgment, and I want you to to destroy this people group. That's what I want you to do. And so we look at that and we go, oh my goodness. But recognize in that day and time, there was no council of countries that came together. There was no law that unified everyone together. So if there were groups, if you were bigger and you wanted to overtake this village, there was nothing to be done and there was no one to stand for you unless there was another neighboring cousin that would come. And so in this instance, there's no one else. And so God says, I'm going to smite them. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to do it through you. But I want you to understand something, Saul. I want you to understand something, nation of Israel. This is judgment. This is not exploitation. This is not imperialism. You are not doing this for gain. So I don't want you to keep anything. Don't keep any of the livestock. Don't keep any of the grain. Don't keep anything for yourselves. That's what the Amalekites do. I want you to devote this to me, and I want you to exercise judgment, not for your personal benefit, but for justice's sake. So that's where we pick up on this story, beginning in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havlah to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen. So what's happened here? So Saul, first of all, he's not He's not doing what God told him to. What is he doing? He is doing an act of imperialism. This is an act of imperialism. He gets the king. Why do you get the king? Because that's the trophy. That was the trophy back then. To have another king in your court that was either in the dungeons or serving in your court. If they were serving in your court, they usually cut their, their thumbs off and their toes off and had them chained. And you might have two, three, four, five kings. That was a status symbol that you were the king of kings. And so Paul's, excuse me, Saul's ego has got the best of him. And he's brought back Agag as a trophy. And all, and, but the Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, and the fatted calves and the lamb and all that was good and would not destroy them. This is exactly what the Amalekites would do. That's what they would do. And this is why God did not want them. This is not for the purpose of your financial gain. This is not for the purpose of your ego. You're not going to be like this. That's why it's all to be devoted to me. This is an act of judgment, but Saul doesn't listen. And the Bible continues, and it says, 
All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. That's what the Amalekites did. If it was weak, if it was sick, if it wasn't strong, if it wasn't of enough value, then they killed that. But then they kept everything else. And the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told, Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So what is that? Well, he set up a monument. Why do you set up a monument? You either do it to mark something God has done or mark that that kingdom or that king had accomplished. So he sets up a monument in honor of himself. We have been the one who finally defeated these awful evil Malachites. A monument for me so everybody will see when they come by. It's inscripted. Maybe they even had a stone face. We don't know what it looked like, but they set up a monument. It's again a statue, a trophy, something that would bring accolades and and recognition to Saul. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. Okay, so we're going to stop right here, and what we see is the self-deception of Saul. And I want to give you all of these characteristics are found and noticed in Saul's life. That's what this sermon is about. How do we find ourselves in self-destruction? What comes first by self-deception. What is self-deception? Self-deception are the lies that you tell yourself in order to justify what you do, even though you know it's not right. Okay? So it's the lies that you believe, the lies that you tell yourself, the lies that you uh, do, and then it enables you to do something else. So in other words, self-deception, as Timothy Keller said, is not the worst thing that you do, but it's the reason that you do the worst things that you do. So here are some concepts. And by the way, I don't, I don't like to brag. I usually don't brag like this, but I had almost five minors in college. And I know you probably don't know anybody with more minors than me. And that comes from someone who can't figure out what they want to do in college and just keeps taking hours, okay? Uh, matter of fact, I literally got to the end of my junior year and I go, so what degree would you give me for all these? Look at all these hours I got. They're everywhere. And um, they go, good night, son. You've got like four minors and no hope for a major. And so, so anyway, don't like to brag. Uh, but a couple of those fields that I had minors in were, were psychology and sociology. So these are terms that we learned. And they're terms that people still use. The first one is denial, to just deny that something exists. Even though it might be true, even though it might be real, you just deny it. That's, that's the central one. That's the easy one. That, certainly, we see Saul basically in denial over not being obedient. The second one is deflection, and that's what he does right here in this this particular verse that we just read. Deflection, what does that mean? That means where I deflect. Somebody says something, or I know they're about to say something, and I go, look, squirrel, or or have you seen that movie? Oh, did you see? Oh, my goodness, that's a nice-looking dress. Oh, I really like those shoes. You deflect, and that's a very common characteristic. That's a self self-deceiving. I don't have to deal with it. I'm trying to get around. I'm trying to get away from self-deflection or deflection. The next one is projection. What is projection? I'm projecting upon you. In other words, we have a problem. Let's say that I've done something to hurt your feelings or you've done something to hurt my feelings. And when you've done something to hurt my feelings, the way that you handle that is you go, well, you know what? It's really your fault. If you hadn't said this and done this, I wouldn't have have screamed at you and and called you all those ugly names. Or it was because of whatever. And you project 
project it on somebody or something else. Or, you know, that was my mother's fault. She used to do that to me, and, and so I now do it, but I can't help it. You're projecting onto somebody else, okay? Number, three, number four, justification. I'm going to justify that. Yes, and we see Saul doing this. Yes, that's true. I did, but let me justify that for you. The problem was, um, the problem was is that we had this, this, and this, and we were able to get all this. Look at all this stuff, and now we're going to give it to the Lord. We're going to, since you're here anyway, we're going to sacrifice all these things to the Lord. And boy, it'll be a great worship service. It'll be a great time of offerings, and there'll be a lot of meat. It'll be a great example. Everybody will hear about it, and you're justifying your sin. The next one would be rationalization. Well, I had to, and it's just the way it is, you know, because this, this, and this happened, and I just felt like I didn't have any choice, and I just had to move ahead. He did that with, uh, with, the, with Samuel before. Well, you know, the, this, the, the troops were getting un, unwieldy, and I was afraid they were going to leave, and so I just went ahead and offered that sacrifice myself. Rationalization. Then the last one is regression. And when all those don't work, then we typically will regress down to a lower emotional state. We'll act like a child or a teenager. We'll start to cry and whine and say, I can't help it. I have no choice. And I had a bad home life, and da, da, da. And we just kind of regress and kind of sink into that pity and just emotionally kind of uh, go into an immature spot uh, of which we hope people will just feel sorry for us and it'll look like we're beating ourselves up or that we're so, uh, we're so lowly that nothing else should be done. And that's called regression. Paul, or excuse me, Saul does every one of these. Let's continue with our text. Saul has just done the deflection. Uh, it's, it says, you know, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be to the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. There's a deflection right there. Classic example of deflection. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They, those soldiers, that's called projection. They did that. Continue, we'll see some more projection here. For the people, those people, those soldiers that you're the commander of, those soldiers spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Here's, here's justification. We did this so that we could sacrifice to God and we could just show everybody how wonderful he is and the rest we have devoted to destruction. All the good stuff we've kept, you're right, and we've done this for God. I, you know, that's one of the worst things I think you can do is when you try to defend your sin by placing it on God. That's, you've heard the term, the commandment, uh, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. We always think that's cursing, which it certainly would be, but it's also taking his name in vain when you're using it to rationalize and to cover your sin. That's exactly taking the name of the Lord in vain. And Samuel says at this point, he said, stop. He basically says, shut up. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, remember how when Saul was first recognized as the king, he was hiding. He didn't have a high self-esteem. He didn't feel the need to be in charge, but now he has that authority, and now he has that power, and now yet there's still a hole in his heart because he's not being obedient. He's let it somewhat go to his head, and he's trying to clamp hold of it, and the Bible says, though you in your little in your own eyes, are you not now the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king over Israel. 
And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce? Why did you go and grab the spoil, all of the assets, and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, now he's going to rationalize, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And uh, I have brought King Agag. I brought him here. And now everybody can see that you, you, I serve a big God. Look, we got King Agag, that terrible Amorite. And everybody can see him and everybody can know. But Saul, this is all about you. You're rationalizing. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction, but the people took the spoil. And here we are projecting. The people took it. They got it. I know I'm the big king, but they did it. Look at them. Sheep, oxen, and the best of things and devoted destruction to the sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great a light in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's a great line. That's one of the pivotal verses of this book. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Uh, and we know that. You know, when our children, we would rather have our children obey then do something wrong, and then draw us a picture to try to cover up from it. He's saying, obey. This is the heart of God. This is what I'm asking of you. And we'll catch something very significant here, I think, as we go. Behold, it is better than sacrifice and to listen, than to listen than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is, sin against, is the sin of divination. He said, you are rebelling. I told you clearly and specifically what to do, and you didn't do it. That's rebellion. And then he says this. And pres presumption is iniquity. What does he mean, presumption, to presume? A lot of times, myself included, and by the way, this is a very convicting sermon for me, because uh, I, I find myself doing a lot of things that Saul's doing. I find myself projecting. I find myself deflecting. Um, you know, quite regularly, by the way, I, I deflect. Hey, honey, have you cleaned? Hi, have, you done, have you done what I asked you? Go by and pick it up? No, how are you? You sure look lovely. You know what I mean? We, we do that all the time. I do that all the time. And, but here he talks about Samuel saying, and presumption is iniquity. What does he mean by presumption? That's presuming upon God. Here's the way it goes. There's something that you know you shouldn't do, but you decide to do it anyway, and you think, you know what, God will forgive me. I'll just move ahead. I'll just do this. I shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to move ahead, and then God will bless me, and, and I'll just ask him for forgiveness. And He's a forgiving God. So I'll go, and I'll I'll do what he said, but then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to benefit from this greatly. Matter of fact, if I'm going to do what God said, I'm not going to do it just to be serving. I'm not going to do it just for worship. I need to see how I'm going to benefit. I need to see how I'm going to get a big win out of this thing. If I'm going to give money, if I'm going to give time, how do I win? And he presumes upon the mercies of God that you can do whatever you want. You can move forward and you can disobey and then just ask forgiveness. It'll all be okay. But God... Through Samuel, we see that this is not, this is Samuel's heart. This is a Saul's heart. The problem is, is that when you go in with that mindset, Ari says that you're the king of your life and that you are going to call the shots and that anything you do is going to bless you and benefit you. And so he says, 
Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, all right, at this point, wait, now this is big, and I don't know where else to go with all my little defense mechanisms, so now I'm going to regress, and I'm, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to say the right things I should have said right at the front, but not get that right either. I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the commandments of the Lord, your, your God, your, your words, because why? Because of the people. I was afraid of the people. You mean the people that are following you? the people that you're king over, the people that are, are so excited that you're there, the people who are seeing the victories that you're leading them to, and obey their voice. He still can't admit it. He still can't take full responsibility. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. So come go with me. I want him to see you with me, and let's go worship. It'll be fine. You still don't see real repentance. And the Bible says, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have been rejected, the word of the Lord. You have rejected it, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and he tore it. That means he, he we know how tall he is. That probably means he got down on his knees and he, and he, he was begging and he pulled his skirt. And he tore the garment. He's regressed. He's doing what a child would do at this point, trying to physically get him to stop, trying to grab hold of his clothes. He said everything he could say. It's not worked. Now I'm regressing, and I'm acting like I'm 12 years old, trying to get you to stop. And we know where this ultimately leads. It ultimately leads to a spirit of resentment. Because instead of saying, I was wrong, and I will take the, whatever the consequences are, from this point forward, he becomes jealous of David. And, we, and it grows just a little bit, and then it gets really big, and then he wants to kill David, and he knows God, David is his anointed, the anointed one who will take his place. And he can never grasp that, and he can never let that happen because he's regressed, and now he's resentful. And Saul ends up living and leading a sad life as a king and as an individual. But I want to contrast that with his son, Jonathan. His son, Jonathan sees who David is. He sees the integrity of David. He sees that God's anointing is upon him, and he sees how God is using him, and he recognizes this is the true king. This is the, our people, our God needs someone like this. And even though Jonathan is the direct descendant, let's turn and see what he does. In chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, and this is a beautiful picture of the gospel in Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And Jonathan, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return, speaking of David, to his house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Remember, Jonathan, the oldest son of Saul, the heir to the throne, he makes a covenant, a promise with David. Remember, there's a covenant the nation of Israel has made. There's a covenant that Saul would have made to, for, to, to worship God and to obey him and to follow his statutes. Now, here's Jonathan making a covenant with David. And the Bible says, because he loved him as his own soul. And catch verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. There's three items there I want us to look at. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel of how we have to recognize, we have to let these things go and recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. The first thing that he gives up is his robe. Now, what's the robe? Well, we've seen it in old movies. The robe is the kingly robe. It's the identification of Jonathan. He is to be the king. He is the only one that would have worn this robe in battle and around town. And it signified when you saw it, oh, 
He's of the kingly family. He is the one that will be the next king. He's wearing that robe. It's his identity. And he takes it off and he places it upon David. That is huge. Here is the one who by birth and by the system would be the king. And he says, I willingly give up my kingship to you. That's what Jesus did with us. When we submitted to him, he put the kingly robe of salvation, of righteousness upon us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But because of his love for us, he placed the robe of righteousness upon us. Secondly, we see that he gives him his sword. We've seen movies before where they take out their sword and they handle it. Usually it's the one who's been conquered giving it to the victor. But here is Jonathan giving his defense, his weapon of defense. He gives the sword to David. He gives him his power. I give you my position. Now I give you my defenses. His father has used the projection. His father has used the rationalization. His father has used uh, all of these different techniques, the denial, as his defense mechanism. But Jonathan says, I give you my defense. And then thirdly, he said, I give you my belt. I give you my armor and my sword, but now I give you my belt. Now, what did that mean in that time? Well, your belt was important. Every soldier pretty much would have a belt, and there would be markings on that belt. Uh, different cultures did different things, but many times there would be, so to speak, notches on your belt that either represented how many battles you'd been in, been in or maybe how many warriors you had defeated or uh, certain awards that you had. So it's what you had earned. It's what you had accomplished and Jonathan takes even what he had accomplished in his own flesh that had not been given to him, but that he had earned, he took that off and he gave it to David. Amazing. There's the picture of the gospel right there. That we take our identity and we say, God, I give you who I am. Lord, I give you my defenses, all the stories, all the things that I've made up, all the lies that I tell, all the things I do to defend myself. God, I place that at your feet. And everything that I've earned, everything that I've accomplished, Lord, I place it at your feet. And you are my king and Lord. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Here's the truth about the gospel, guys. We are more wicked and sinful than we ever could have imagined. But the good news is we are more loved and accepted by God than we could have ever hoped for. That's the story of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. I was reading a story about a man who um, hated to wear a seatbelt, and he had been ticketed five times over the last five years because he just wouldn't wear a seatbelt. So he got aggravated with that, and so he decided to just build his own seatbelt. So he made for himself a seatbelt, and then he had it attached on the seat, and then he would just fold over him. But it wasn't anything he had to click, and uh, it, just, it was the appearance of a seatbelt. Well, for the next several years, he didn't get any tickets. It worked fine till last year. He was driving, and he had a collision uh, with another car, and he went through the windshield. The coroner did the autopsy and said, you know, if he had been wearing his seatbelt, he might have been hurt, but I think he would have survived. The, the truth of it was he had a seatbelt, but it was a fake. And when it came to something real for the purpose of that seatbelt, he was not able to live through it. That's a picture of us. When we, just like Saul, started counting on his ability to manipulate, to deceive, and it finally came to a point to where he could deceive no longer, and it cost him everything. What about you today? What are you relying on? Are you relying on your own robe? Are you relying 
on your sword of defense? Are you relying on what you've accomplished? The Bible says this, more than any other quote in the Gospels, Jesus made this quote. He said, he who seeks to save his life would lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. He who seeks to keep his robe, he who seeks to put more notches in his belt, he who seeks to use his sword, he goes, will ultimately lose his life. But he who gives up his robe, he who gives up his belt, he who gives me his sword will find life. Jesus said that five times more than any other statement he ever made in the Gospels. Have you come to the place in your life where you say, Jesus, here's my robe, here's my sword, here's my belt. I give it all to you. Clothe me in your righteousness, not because I've earned it or deserved it, but because of your gracious kindness. I accept your love. You are my Lord. I serve you now. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you did die for us. And Lord, if there's one today that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would remove our robes, which really are just filthy rags in your sight. Lord, I pray that we would release our weapons of defense, the excuses that we make on why we can't follow you, why we can't trust you, why we have to live a double life. And Lord, I pray most of all, that we would release our belts, our belts of our self-righteousness, our belts of our accomplishments, our belts of our goodness, of our service, of things that we've done that we think have earned our way into the kingdom. And I pray that we would release it before you and we would recognize that it is nothing and that we have been putting our hope in things that don't matter when our only hope can be in you, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has given us a robe of righteousness, who is our defense, and who is our purpose in life. We embrace you and thank you and ask you to draw people to your name this day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.